Open your Bibles this morning, if you would, to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. You know, every one of us as Christians have found out that once you get born again, your problems aren't over. You just have answers for your problems. How many of you discovered since you got born again, accepted Jesus, that oftentimes your problems increased? Yes, oh, come on, be honest with you. More problems came. But the good news is, is before you had no answer for your problems, now you do. In fact, David said, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. There's been times that I seem like I got through one problem, turned around, I was facing another problem. And there's times I have become discouraged, even as a Christian, even as a minister. I pastored for 33 years, and believe me, there's lots of opportunities as a pastor to become discouraged. But I didn't give up. I kept trusting in God. He always brought me through. And so I want to talk to you today about some of the things we face as Christians because I'm sure your pastor comes and talks to you about faith. I'm pretty sure he preaches on healing, all the wonderful things of the Word of God. But I also serve a God that delivers us out of problems. We are in the devil's world for a while. One day Jesus Christ will come back and kick that devil off this planet. But in the meantime, we have victory over him. He said, yes, you'll have problems, but be of good cheer. I have already overcome the world. So we're living on the overcoming side. And so one day Satan will be gone. Jesus will come back. On that day, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Now, he began the work on the cross. He'll finish the work when he comes back, but we're everything in between. He's the Alpha and he's the Omega. We're all the letters in between. We fill in the gap between his first coming and second coming. And in the meantime, even though Satan is here and he has been defeated, he has not been removed, but he will be. In the meantime, God has given us authority over the circumstances of life. But there's still times when circumstances seem to be overwhelming. I want to read to you this passage of Scripture, 2 Samuel chapter 12. I want to read to you verses 20 through 24. I'm reading out the New King James, and uh, uh, the ones running the system back here did not have the New King James, but they're getting as close as possible with the King James. So anyway, it all came from God, whether it's new or old. Okay, so 2 Samuel chapter 12, look with me at verse 20. It said, Then David rose up from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes and went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servants said to him, What is it that you have done? You fasted and you wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you rose up and now you eat food. In other words, it looks like you're celebrating. And he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me and the child may live? But now he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to be with him, but he shall not return to me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son and called his name Solomon, and the Lord loved him. Every one of us face trials. It's part of the Christian life. I've heard people say, well, if you accept Jesus, you'll have no more problems. I tell them, oh, no, no. See, before you were on the devil's side, now you're against the devil. So if you're against him, I can tell you, more problems will come at you than ever before. But now, be of good cheer because God is with you. We all face troubles. I have faced troubles in my life. And uh, I've been saved since I was five years old. I was raised in a Pentecostal home. So I accepted Jesus when I was five years old. I was filled with the Holy Spirit when I was seven, and I've been raised in church. I had no choice. My dad took me to church whether I wanted to or not. You say, surely you wanted to. No, there was times I didn't want to go to church. I was a seven-year-old, eight-year-old, ten-year-old, and uh, back when I was first in church and everything, television had just been invented a few years before I was born. In fact, I was there when color television came along supposed to have been red, but it looked pink to me, you know, and it's supposed to have been dark blue, but it looked kind of lavender or something. Anyway, all that came out. And of course, I had to be at church on Sunday morning and Sunday night. And then the next morning in school, and all the kids would come and say, did you watch Walt Disney last night? And I said, no. Oh yeah, you're a preacher's kid, aren't you? You had to be in church, didn't you? I go, yeah. But what I have found out through all these years is even though I missed the Mickey Mouse Club 
and I didn't get to see Disney on Sunday night, I have found out one special thing. The name of Mickey Mouse has never helped me one time. <laughs> but the name of Jesus has brought me through many, many problems. So I'm glad that I didn't get to see all of those things, and I did catch up on them later when I could really look at them and go, boy, those were cheesy, weren't they? Not very good. But anyway, all those times in church has helped me because I have had problems as I've accepted a call from God, met with people, started to help start a church. I pastored the church later for 33 years. We grew to be a very large church in the city of Tulsa, but in the meantime, Things came against us. The press came against us. We went through a lawsuit. I mean, we went through major problems in those 33 years. But I can stand at the end of it and say, God met us. We overcame it. We came out on the other side. Again, we stood at Red Seas, but God parted them right there in front of us. No way out, but God would part the Red Seas. He'll do it for you every single day. But I want to talk about something beyond problems because we all face problems. Jesus promised them. But in this particular case, as we did in our church one time, we came through what I would call a tragedy. Tragedies are worse than the problems of life. What is it with a tragedy that's different than a problem? Problems you can, you can look at, and when they're over, they're over. I mean, if you're diagnosed with cancer and, that, and they come back with a clean report and say that you're cancer-free, you can hold up that report and rejoice, and we can all rejoice with you. But tragedies, even though they're over, they're not really over. Although they come to an end, it seems like years later you can't quit thinking about it because there's question marks over that as, why did this happen? I remember I told the story last night. Our church went through a three-year lawsuit. And during that whole time, my wife every day and I would pray. We'd say, Lord, we are asking today and believing your word is true that it's going to be settled today and it will be over. Next day, it looked worse than ever. So we brought up some more scripture. We prayed every day. My wife actually said to me one day, we're praying prayers that seem like they're not even being answered. I don't look at me so like that. You face problems too where you prayed one day. It looks like nothing was happening. Understand something. God's word is still true. It never changes. It's that sometimes we don't see what's really going on behind the scenes. We're going to talk about it a little while. There in this story that David had where he finally saw his little child die is that there was a story behind the story. And oftentimes we don't see the story behind the story. We just see what's in front of our eyes. I saw things in front of my eyes. We went through that thing and even our attorneys told us this thing will get settled. No one will ever take this thing to court. They really don't have that much of a case against you. But I can tell you this, after three years they took us to court and it lasted for six weeks. At the end of that six weeks, we were all over the news. Everybody was waiting for us to be crucified as a church. They kept waiting for this. The press just wanted to see a church go down. And it was all said and done. And the decision came back. We were charged just a little bit of money. And the whole thing was settled. It was over. And we looked at it and smiled. But in the meantime, we had lost people from our church. Lies had been spread all over our city. And I said, Lord, I don't know what to do about it. And Jesus just said, they did the same with me. They lied about me. They told things about me when it was all said and done. I had one person standing at the cross. Everybody else left me and deserted me. Even Paul said at the end of his life, he said, he said to Timothy, Timothy, you're the only one left. Everybody's left me but you. You'd think by that time he'd say, forget the whole Christian life. He said, no, bring me my parchments and my coat. I'm in prison. What did he say? Bring me the Bible and bring me a coat. That's all he asked for. Folks, I can tell you what all comes down to this. In eternity, a lot of things will be brought out that you didn't know. But all I can tell you is you'll thank God in heaven you didn't turn from God and go another direction. You stuck with Him. There was a girl in our church one time. Her father was attending a Bible school in Tulsa. And, uh, her, and uh, she was going to go the next year. Her father happened to be in a small town outside of Tulsa where we live. And he was on the street talking to somebody. And there was a drug deal going on on the sidewalk. He didn't even know it. And the drug deal went bad, and somebody pulled out a gun to shoot the drug dealer, missed the drug dealer, and hit her father. The bullet went through him. I mean, he ended up in the hospital. Police were all over the place, but he ended up in the hospital. And uh, the girl went to him and prayed with him, and she was praying he would live. The father was saying he would live, and yet he died right there in front of her eyes. I did the funeral. I knew both of them. And while I was there giving that... Uh, the, the eulogy and stuff and preaching at the funeral, the Lord told me, he said, 
the daughter planned on going to Ramah. While I was preaching, he said this, the daughter planned on going to Ramah, the Bible school, but now she's not going to go because she doesn't understand why her father died. And so while I was preaching, I stopped and said, you were going to go to, to school, weren't you? But now you're not. And she broke into tears. She said, I'm not going to go. I trusted God that my father would live and he didn't live. I said, let me tell you this. I don't know what happened with your father, but probably I can tell you this. He got a glimpse of heaven and decided he didn't want to stay here. He just didn't want to tell you. He didn't want to hurt your heart. And he told you, and he, whatever you said, he would agree with you. I said, I've seen it happen so many times. I don't know for sure, but I can tell you this. If you turn and run from God now and don't serve him, one day you'll stand in heaven. The Lord will show you the whole story behind the story. And, you'll, and at that moment, you'll think, oh my goodness, I ran from God all those years. But if you stay with the Lord, you'll get to heaven and think, thank God I didn't run from God for 40 years. Thank God I stayed with him because now that I know the story behind the story, God never will let me down. He will never violate his word. But there's often things we don't know in this natural life. And this is the story behind David. This is a tragedy. Let me tell you what a tragedy is. A tragedy seems like God has forgotten you. It seems like his Bible doesn't work. Things that you've prayed before and things that you've stood for before don't seem to work this time. And all of a sudden you're left in confusion. What is going on? Other times it seems like you prayed and come through something, but in this case you cannot. A tragedy is something so far beyond just this natural oppression or things that we face in life. It's multiplied over many times. You know, uh, this is what happens. is In this particular story, we have a tragedy that happened in David's life. Tragedies that happen in our life each and every day include things like this. Someone close to you commits suicide. And I've had, I mean, I've listened. You may be looking at me and say, well, I don't think this is a great thing to talk about in church. People in church face these problems. I've sat with people in church. I mean, they're crying saying, why did my son commit suicide? And they're looking to me for an answer. I am not God. All I can tell them is I don't know right now, but I will tell you two things. Number one, God may answer it in this life, but if not, he'll answer it in eternity. And when you see what happened behind the scenes, you'll be able to understand. In the meantime, don't blame God for this. Ultimately, if you want to blame somebody, you can blame Satan. But on the other hand, just trust God because you'll see an answer one day. So, Anyway, it's one of those things. So a child may commit, I mean, someone may commit uh, a, a suicide or else in your own life you wonder why your parents divorced years ago. And often children bear the burden of that thinking, was it me that caused that to happen? And they carry this for years. And so not knowing all the story, maybe one day a mother or a father shares with you the real story behind why this happened. But I think the worst tragedy has to be this, what happened to David and that is the death of a child. It makes no sense. Children should not die before parents. It just doesn't make natural sense. And in that case, you carry it for years. Let me tell you what a tragedy is. A tragedy is so bad that basically you step off this ride called life and stand still and you watch life go from that time on. Everybody else is enjoying life and you're not. You came to a screeching halt years ago. In fact, it's so bad, you know you have to face life. You know you have to get up each day and make sandwiches for your children for school or you have to get up and prepare the house for whatever's going on, but you're just living in a different world. You just as soon go into the bedroom, close the door, get in bed, pull the covers over your head, and never face life at all. And this is what happens to you. If you even get into a conversation with somebody, even if it's a stranger, in 10 minutes, you're going back 20 years ago, rehearsing something that happened 20 years ago, telling the story all over again, but hoping for a different result. And it just doesn't happen. And yet you wonder what's happening. In this particular case, we have the story of David and the death of his child and what David did. There are eight things that David did in this story to recover from a tragedy, and I'm going to tell you what he did. It's going to enlighten you and open up your eyes as to what God wants to do. Because I think many of you may be one of those that just got off this ride called life years ago and you've never got back on. I'm just going to tell you today, welcome back to life and welcome back to serving God. Because you're going to find joy like you've never found again for a long time. There's a story behind the story. We're going to go back and rehearse it in just a minute. But the Bible is filled with this. Think about this. In the day that Moses died, it shocked the people. 
because God had declared Moses would take the children of Israel into the promised land. Now they've come to the river Jordan. Moses is dying and he tells them Joshua is going to take you into the promised land. And no explanation was given. They, they mourned for 40 days and then they win the promised land with, with Joshua, but they're wondering about Moses. I'm sure they might have asked later on, even with Joshua, how come Moses isn't here? God told us, even Moses said he was going to take us in the promised land and he's not. And Joshua wouldn't tell them. Why? Because we are told in the Bible what happened. We are given the story behind the story. Much of the Bible tells us stories behind stories. Moses was supposed to speak to the rock and provide water for the children of Israel, but instead he took the rod and struck the rock twice and yelled at the people. God said, speak to the rock, so he spoke to the people. He said, here now, you rebels, must we get water out of this rock for you? Well, God never said, call them rebels. And on top of that, Moses, you're not the one that gets the water out of the rock. God's going to do that. All God asks you to do is stand there with the rod and speak to the rock, and he didn't do it. He was so mad at the people. Of course, if you'd been with 2 million people for 40 years, you might have been upset too. Well, Moses got so angry, he just yelled at the people. He struck the rock, and when the water came out, God was so gracious to give them water, but he took Moses off to the side and chewed him out in private and told him, I didn't tell you to do that. He said, because you've disobeyed me, you're not going to bring the children of Israel into the promised land. Joshua's going to do that. So he turned it over, but God didn't tell the people because God does not air dirty laundry in front of other people. God will not tell your dirty secrets to everybody else. In fact, we're told in the book of Proverbs that it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. And God will conceal your worst things from other people. God is a gracious God. He's a wonderful God. But he kept these things from the people and they went on not knowing about it. But God told us the whole story. We can see the story behind the story. How about when, when Elijah was laying in the cave all by himself? Everybody hates me. Nobody loves me. I'm the only one serving you, God. Me, I and I only am the only one left serving. He was having a pity party. He was in there bawling and crying and telling God how bad everything was. And God tried twice to encourage him and brought him out. And yet he would not listen. Went right back in there and began to cry and bawl again. And finally God said to him, it's over. You're gonna, I'm going to replace you. He says, you'll find your replacement plowing. And so he went and found Elisha plowing. I love that. You know, probably Elijah's ministry was so big, Elijah probably thought, it's going to take somebody important to fill my position. Have you seen how big my mailing list is? Have you seen how many books I have printed? Have you seen how many speaking engagements I've got? Who in the world can replace me? And God said, a farmer, that's who's going to replace you. About the time you think you're so big, remember something. God always takes nobodies and makes somebodies out of them. You, think, you quit thinking. You say, well, I'm not a nobody. Stand in front of the mirror and look at it. You're a nobody that God made a somebody out of. It's only by the Holy Spirit you are who you are. It's only by the Word you are who you are. And so here we have him in, a, in this place crying and complaining, but because he wouldn't stop, God finally said, that's it. You know what? The world out there saw Elijah again and never knew what happened in the cave because he was by himself with God, but the Holy Spirit was present and wrote it all in the Bible for us to see. We got to see the story behind the story. But so it was with David. Let me give you the story behind this story. Now, chapter 12, this is deep now. Wait just a moment. Chapter 12 comes after chapter 11, okay? And chapter 11 is the story behind the story. You see, all that, was, all that happened was you have David and you have Bathsheba, and that's it. And so it only happened between them. Nobody else knew what happened except for God. We're told at the closing verse of chapter 11, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And so God wrote a whole chapter so we would see the story behind this story. Why did this happen that David's child died? Well, in the previous chapter, here's what happened. Chapter 11, verse 1 says this, At the time when kings go forth to battle, David stayed at home. What a simple phrase. At the time when kings go forth to battle, David stayed at home. David should have been at battle. David stayed in Jerusalem, and he sent Joab and all the troops over to Rabbah. 
and they were fighting over there, but David should have been with him. All David was was geographically out of God's will. He should have been over there, but he stayed here. Probably had a good excuse for staying there, just like some of you that have good excuses for not coming to church. I think I'll just devote myself to prayer this morning. It sounds so sweet. Prayer for you is laying in bed an extra hour or two. That's what your prayer time is. And you make it sound so sweet like I'm going to stay home and pray. You know what? I really need to catch up on my Bible study. So I'm not coming to church today, but I'm going to really apply myself to God. You have six other days to apply yourself to God. And halfway through the afternoon today, why do you pick Sunday morning to stay at home and pray and study the Bible? It's because you just really want to stay home. That's the thing. Don't look at me like that because pastors think the same way. Say, pastors want to stay home? But we walk in and we get a big smile and we talk about Jesus and all that. You know why? Because it's true. But anyway, there's times I would just soon stay at home. I woke up on Sunday morning and look at my wife and say, would you like to stay home? Uh-huh, I'd love to stay home. But we go to church and we preach the word. That's what we're called to do. See, I don't do everything because I feel like doing it. I do everything because I'm called to do it. And God shows up. There's times I've stood up here to preach and felt nothing. I feel good today, but there's certain days I've stood up and didn't feel a thing. And said, God, you better show up. And you know what? He does. He does. There's days I'd rather just not even be up here. I'd rather be at home. But that's what happens. And so I'm sure David had some great excuse. I need to pray. I need to study the Word of God. And you read verse 2. And here's what verse 2 says. At evening, David got out of bed. I'm going to say that again. At evening, David got out of bed. Evenings when you go to bed. You know what David's been doing? Sleeping all day long. He probably watched a few television shows, a few soap operas on television, a few game shows, and probably got bored, went to bed, and when he got up, the sun was going down. So David was so bored, there was no men at home. I mean, a few servants were around, but the house was empty. The streets were empty of all men. They were all fighting. Whatever men were there were at the front gate defending the city, and David just walked out on the porch and looked around on his porch because his house was real high. He looked down and saw a woman bathing naked outside. Your first thought is, why was she doing that? Because there was no men at home. She didn't think a thing about it. She was bathing out there, and David saw her, and when the Bible said she was very beautiful, the Bible doesn't throw adjectives around. When it said she was very beautiful, you can bank on it. She was a knockout. She was gorgeous, and David wanted her, so he called her to the house, and she came, and before she even got there, they told her her husband is a famous man in battle. His name is Uriah. And, but it still didn't take, take David. David. David should have thought by now, why am I lusting after this woman? Well, I stayed at home. I should have gone to battle. You see, sin never starts out as huge. It starts out as something small. And every day it gets bigger and bigger the more you don't ask God to forgive you of it. So David just kept on going. He brought the woman in. He had sex with her in, in his house. He sent her back home. And a few weeks later, she probably texted him and said, I'm pregnant. And so he thought, oh my goodness, she's pregnant. What am I going to do? So he started thinking of ways. Instead of, instead of just jumping on his horse and riding off to battle and finding her husband Uriah and admit the whole thing and get it straightened out, he didn't do that. He tried to cover it up. So he asked for her husband to come home. He had Uriah sent home. And he said to Uriah, when Uriah got there, he said, you know why I brought you home? No. He said, I heard what a famous man you are in battle. I thought I'd just give you a little R&R and let you come home and eat with me and, and celebrate for a couple of days, then go back to battle. What David was going to do was give him a lot of good food, give him some wine, send him home. He'll go to bed with his wife, and David can blame the baby on him, not on David. But you know what happened? The first night, he ate, he drank. He had a good time. David said, thank you. He said, you can go on home. He walked out the door and he went to the front gate and he slept with the guards at the gate. And the next day, David brought him in and said, why didn't you go home? He said, sir, Israel is in battle. They're living in tents. The Ark of the Covenant is out there. All of the soldiers are out there. He said, and you asked me to come home and eat with you and then go home and sleep with my wife? As the Lord lives, I will not do this thing. This man was a patriot. He loved the Lord and he loved Israel. Think about this. He loved Israel, but he was a Hittite. 
He was part of the enemy when they invaded the land. And yet this man accepted the Lord. He, his wife accepted the Lord. They became followers of God. They became patriots of Israel. And he even fought with the army. And this man was famous in battle. And now David has him, and David thinks, no, I'm going to try one more time. And the next day, he brought him in to eat again. And this time it said, David made him drunk. He gave him wine and kept giving him wine and kept giving him wine until he got him drunk and thought he'll walk out the door. Even if he walks out the door and gets to his house and passes out on the porch, I can say he went in and had sex with his wife. And he's the one that got her pregnant. But you know what happened? As drunk as he was, he walked out the door and staggered down to the front gate and passed out with all of the other men at the front gate if he did pass out. He went down and slept with all the guards at the gate again. And this way he had a lot of witnesses around him. He didn't go home. David was so frustrated the next day that he couldn't get this man to go home. He wrote a letter and sent it with him to the front lines of the troops. And here's what the, lines, and here's what the letter said to Joab. Joab put this man in the front of the hottest battle and then have everybody retreat from him so he'll get killed. And that's what happened. He got back to battle. He went to fight the battle and everybody knew but him that he, to retreat. And Uriah was followed by a lot of men. He was in the front of the battle and when he turned around, all the soldiers were gone and he got killed on the front line. When David found out about it, he eulogized him and talked about what a wonderful man he was and what a great hero he was. And at that moment, he brought... Bathsheba into his home, this pregnant woman, and he made her his wife. And when he did that, listen to this, David became a hypocrite. David knew what happened. David covered the whole thing up, and David politicized the whole thing. He made it look like he was a hero. Can you imagine what all the women in town thought? David is such a wonderful man. Look at this pregnant woman. Her husband went to battle, got killed, and David has taken her out of this little house and brought her to live inside of the mansion with him. She now lives in the palace with the king. Now she's, and I'm sure books were being written. I'm sure covers of books had David with Bathsheba in his arms like this. And the books were being bought all over town. Hallmark probably made movies out of it. And all these things in David, all, you even mentioned David's name and the women would go, oh, he's so sweet. He took this woman in and they never knew the story behind the story. David got her pregnant, should have been at battle, had her husband killed, brought her to live inside the house and David was being totally self-centered. He wasn't thinking a thing about her. She lost everything. She lost her husband, she lost her home and now she's now living with the king. And of course, everything on the outside looks great, but the closing verse of chapter 11 says this, what David had done displeased the Lord. In the next chapter, God taps Nathan, the prophet, on the shoulder. And he said to Nathan, ministers get the worst jobs. He said, go tell David he sinned. I'm sure Nathan said, really? I'm supposed to go tell the king he sinned? And God told him the whole story. So Nathan went and told David the whole story. And David was so carnal. This was a year later. The child was just about to be born. And David was so carnal at that moment. He couldn't even pick up on the story. Nathan told him a story about a ewe lamb and a man that had a lot of lambs and went over and stole the ewe lamb. And the whole story was, you have, you have wives of your own, but you went across the street and got somebody else's wife, got her pregnant, then had her husband killed. And all this... and. Through the whole story, David still didn't know it was him. When David got through, when the story was through, David stood up and pounded the table and said, whoever has done this will pay fourfold. And Nathan said, it's you. You're the man. He told him the whole story and David admitted it. And so here's what happened. He said, you're going to have problems in your home. He said, but God's going to confine it. You're the one that caused all this problem, David. You're the one that opened up the door for Satan and Satan's about to go crazy. But instead of letting him invade the people, because the people had nothing to do with this. It's going to happen within your own home. And that's what happened. Four things happened in David's home. He said he'll pay fourfold. First thing that happened was this baby died. The second thing that happened was one of David's sons committed incest with one of his sisters. The third thing that happened was Absalom killed the brother that did this to the sister. And finally, the fourth thing was Absalom died. And when that happened, this whole thing was over. And... What happened was, here's what Nathan told David. He said, the thing that you have done is displeased the Lord. And he said, 
uh, he said, you will, and David said, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said, your sins are forgiven, you will not die. Let me tell you what that means. Here's the incredible thing. He said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said, your sins are forgiven. Let me tell you how rapidly God will forgive. A whole year's worth of sins was forgiven in one statement. I have sinned against the Lord. And immediately his sins were forgiven. Isn't the Lord good? Aren't you glad God didn't say, well, you sinned for a year. It's going to take me a, a year to forgive you. I mean, that's what I would have done, but I'm glad I'm not God. Okay, it's probably what you would have done, okay? But on the other hand, he said, first of all, he said, your sins are forgiven. Second of all, here's the most powerful thing. You won't die. David committed two capital crimes of which he should have died. Adultery and murder. And he didn't die. And that's what gave David the idea, perhaps if I pray for this dying baby, God who was merciful to me will be merciful to this child. But it didn't happen. And so David prayed for seven days, fasted for seven days, locked himself in a room for seven days, didn't change clothes for seven days, praying for this child to live, and it did not live, it died. And what David did to recover from this tragedy, I want to bring to you. I want to bring you eight things that David did that helped to help you today to recover from any tragedy in life. And so again, in these verses of Scripture, we've now heard the story behind the story. Let's go and talk about the eight things that David did to recover from a tragedy. I tried my best to get this into seven points, because seven's much more spiritual than eight. You know, there's always something good about seven. But it struck me one day after looking at it, and I couldn't change it. There's just eight things here. The Lord reminded me, eight is the number of new beginnings. And some of you are going to have a new beginning today. You've been born again for years, but today's going to be a brand new start of your Christian life. Oh, yeah, you're still saved and have been all this time, but you're going to find life, and you're going to find it today, like the Word of God declares, more abundantly. Oh, you've been living for Jesus and Jesus lives in you, but you have not discovered that abundant life or else you left it 15 or 20 years ago when this tragedy hit and you've been questioning God ever since. What you've been simply saying is this, God, I can't move on until you explain what happened. And God says, get up and start moving, then I'll explain what happened. You don't have to wait for God to suddenly come and tell you everything before you start to move. He's simply saying, trust me, get up and start moving, and I'll start telling you what the story was behind the story. I'll start to reveal some things to you, but I promise you, you may know some things in life, but you'll not know everything till you get to heaven. Once you get to heaven, all veils will be removed, and you'll start to see a lot of things behind it. You know, there's a scripture that I, that I don't like, but I do like. There's certain scriptures even I don't understand totally, but there's one that says the Holy Spirit will show you things to come. Have you ever been blindsided by a situation? Don't look at me like, you know, no, you haven't. You've all been blindsided by a situation. Anybody ever been surprised by an attack that came against you? And then have you ever thrown that scripture back at God? I thought you said you'd show me things to come, and you didn't do it. How could, I have entered, how could I have been so blind and not see this? How could this situation have arisen and I didn't know about it? You said you would show me things to come. And I used to quote that to God. I'm, I can get upset with God sometimes. And I would quote it to him said, You said you'd show me things to come. And finally one day the Lord spoke to me and said, I said I'd show you things to come. I didn't say I would show you everything to come. If I showed you everything to come, where would the life of faith be? If you knew everything in advance, you wouldn't need to walk by faith. But the reason why I gave you the word is sometimes your natural brain doesn't see what's coming. But I have promised you no matter what it is, I will bring it to pass. Because you know what? It may have taken you by surprise, but it never takes God by surprise. God saw it coming, already has an answer. That's good news. I may not be able to see it. I'm just human. And yes, I walk by faith, and yes, there's many things the Holy Spirit has shown me, but there's other things that I've walked into not knowing where in the world this thing came from, who started it, and I'm so grateful I can know one thing. God knows it was coming. He's already got an answer for me. I just need to follow Him faithfully every single day because I am going to come out on the other side of this situation. And when I come out, I'll be stronger. 
Anybody ever been like those kids in the back seat? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I used to be with my mom and dad and my sister and I in the back seat. We'd barely pull out of the driveway going to, on a 10-hour trip. And by the time we were halfway down the street, we were going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And my mother would turn around and tell us, shut up. We will get there when we get there. You know what? Often in the Christian life, we get hit with a, with a problem in life. And we are the kids in the back seat saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And yet the Lord is simply telling us, hang on, we'll get there. We are more interested in the destination. God's interested in the trip that takes us there. Because what God expects is by the time we get there, we'll be more mature than when we started. Because the longer it takes and the longer you operate in faith, the more mature you become. And God just wants you to arrive a better Christian than when you left. Are you with me? Follow me? Okay. Let's talk about the eight things that David did. Number one, David rose up. The first thing David did was he got up. You can't spend your time on your knees because the prayer was not answered as you thought it should be. I'm going to say that again. You can't spend your time on your knees because the prayer was not answered as you thought it should be. Many prayers are answered. They're just not answered like you think they should be answered. And because they're not answered like you think they should be answered, you just stay there trying to twist God's arm. You're trying to get something out of God. And God's simply saying, this is not what my plan is. All right? So David eventually got up. So it's time to get up and move on with life. And many of you have still been in prayer over something that ended years ago, thinking somehow you're still going to change it when it's time to get up and start moving again and let God explain it at the right time. So again, the first thing the prodigal did was to get up. There comes a time to stop praying, hoping to beg or twist God's arm to get what you want. Things are not changing because they're not going to change. I'm going to say that again. Things are not changing because they're not going to change. God has a different answer and a different plan than you have in your own brain. Listen, you're not God. And your brain isn't as big as God. And yes, there's times I can tell from the Word of God exactly what He's going to do, but there's also other times I don't know exactly what He's going to do. But when the answer comes, it can be better than anything I've ever imagined. And this is what's going to happen to David. So the first thing David did was David got up. The second thing that he did was David washed. He's been seven days in that room. He has been in there. He's dirty. He's worn the same clothes. He has not eaten. He's fasted. He's been in prayer for seven days in that room with that child, praying that the child's going to live, only it did not. So David washed. Why? Because how you look affects what you think of yourself and what others think of you. To turn your life around, you must first of all turn yourself around. You can think clearer after you bathe, clean up your life, rearrange your home, straighten up your office. In other words, go straighten up something. Start your life over again, basically, and go and start here with a bath or a shower. David didn't take baths. David took showers. Men don't take baths. Men take showers. Say, why? Because I can't stand sitting in a tub full of dirty water. That never has, I never figured that out. So anyway, David took a shower, and again, when he did, he, uh, you know, what I'm telling you is you can think clear after you bathe, clean up your life, rearrange your home, straighten up your office, throw away some old clothes and buy some new clothes. And all the women said, amen. That's a good one. Listen to this. Bathing washes off the dirt of yesterday like repentance does sin. By taking a shower and watching all that dirt flow down, it's like all the mistakes and failures you've committed, all the things you've asked God to forgive you of, like the cleansing blood of Jesus washes away sin. I'm watching this dirt roll away, and that's why the first thing, after David got up, he went and took a shower, cleaned up himself. Not only for himself, he wanted to show others this thing is over. And I'm moving on. I don't understand. Listen, there's times I've had to move on not understanding why. But that doesn't stop me from getting up and moving on. I'm not going to sit back here and wonder why the whole time. I'm going to get up and start moving and expect whatever happened back there. Lord, I don't know what just happened, but I expect you to give me an explanation of it. And listen to me very carefully. When the explanation comes, it will line up with the Word of God. Nothing happens in your life that contradicts the Word of God. It's just that right now you can't see it. 
But when it does come, you go, oh my goodness, it does line up with the Word of God. It looks like God's Word didn't work. It looked like God didn't keep His promises and God simply saying, yes, I am. You just can't see the whole picture yet. And that's what David had to do. So, again, the second thing he did was he bathed. Number three, David anointed himself. Now, this is not anointing oil. This is colognes. And oftentimes, men in the Word of God, after they cleaned themselves up, they would shave and they would put on fragrant oil after shaving. This is what Mary did to Jesus' feet when she anointed his feet with fragrant oil. So bathing was what David thought about himself, but shaving and putting on cologne was for his appearance before other people. And you need to show others the time has come to live again. And life begins again. Number four, David changed his clothes. David took off his grieving clothes and put on his daily living clothes and dressed for life again. Changing clothes represents a change of seasons. Life is a series of seasons. I've gone through seasons in my own life. When I was at Oklahoma State University in my junior year, the Lord spoke to me and told me I was going to be a teacher in the body of Christ. That's all he told me, I'd be a teacher. I can tell you this, I left Oklahoma State University and went to Bible school. There was a change of clothes. I was here and now I was here. A new season had started for my life. That lasted a number of years until one day I was asked to become a teacher at Rama Bible Training Center. Well, I took off the business clothes I had been wearing for some time and I put on those teacher clothes and I became a teacher at Rama Bible Training Center. The fourth year I was there, they said, now you're the dean of instructors. I hadn't even never preached. I mean, I'd never have church. I didn't even have a full education. I didn't have a doctor's degree, and they made me the dean of instructors. Well, I took off those clothes and put the dean of instructors clothes on. Life changed, a change of seasons. Then, after a while, the Lord spoke to me and told me I would take the church. I remember when he spoke to me, I was driving down the road. I was crossing a bridge. In the middle of the bridge, the Lord spoke to me and said, you're going to pastor the church you've been attending for seven years. I helped start the church. My wife and I were part of the original 52, but I had other things going, and now the Lord told me, you're going to pastor that church. And so a few months later, they asked me to take that church, and I did, and I put on pastoring clothes. I wore those clothes for 33 years. I did change clothes, but I had those clothes on for 33 years. I was pastoring that church, and there came a time one day when the Lord said, you're going to be leaving pastoring, and you're going to go back to what you did before, you're going to be training instructors and training pastors and speaking to congregations. I'm calling you out from the church. And my son took the church, and now I'm traveling. And I changed clothes one day. You see, with times and seasons comes a change of clothing. You see, now that summer is coming to an end, it's time to put a coat on and take the summer clothes off and put the clothes on for autumn and for winter. There comes a time to change. Losers try to live in a past season and they don't want to change clothes. Winners change clothes, but they keep the memories of the previous seasons that you've come through. I've got some tremendous memories, but I will tell you what, I wouldn't go back to pastoring now for anything. I wouldn't go back to some of those things I've done before for anything. There comes a change of seasons in life. And David changed his clothes because a whole new season of his life had come. The story was told earlier, but there's the story of Pharaoh, and he called for Joseph who was in prison. In fact, Genesis 41 verse 14 says this, Pharaoh called for Joseph. They brought him quickly from the dungeon, and he shaved, probably put on cologne, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. Why did he change his clothing? If Pharaoh wants to see you, you know something, I'm not going back to prison. So he took the prison clothes off and put on some clothes of freedom and later on changed his clothes again when the king made him the overseer of the entire nation under Pharaoh himself. So we see a change of clothing at that time. And again, we have it there. Life is a collection of seasons, but life changes whether you want it to or not and clothes eventually wear out and it's time to fold them up and put them away that some people try to hang on to seasons long past the time they are gone. And again, victorious people know that a season has passed and they move on and they again take the memories of the old season with them. 
Next of all, number five, David came to his own house, or pardon me, David came to the house of the Lord and worshipped. Number five was David went to church. Did you know, sadly, that tragedies often drive people from church when tragedy should drive you to church? Problems are not to send you from church. Problems should send you running to God, not from God. And David, listen, this is even before David went home. David has not sat with his family or sat with his wife or had a meal yet, but one of the first things he does was he goes to church. Why is this so important? He's about to go and worship a God that seemingly let him down. And how many people don't want to go to church because it seems like God has let you down? God cannot let you down. It's impossible for God to let you down. You're etched in His hand. You are the apple of His eye. Everything He does is for you. Send His own Son to the cross to die for you. Forgive your sins and heal your disease and cause you to live a victorious life. And you run into a problem and it seems like God has let you down and you turn from Him. He will never turn from you. And David went to church probably held there and went up and praised the Lord with his hands lifted up thinking, God, I don't understand what just happened, but I continue to worship you. I offer a sacrifice of praise to you. Why? Because there's times we have to offer a sacrifice of praise to God because we don't know what in the world is going on around us. Next of all, he probably put an offering in there thinking, I thought offerings were supposed to bring blessings into your life, but you know what? I'm still going to give to you even if I don't understand this situation. Next of all, he heard a sermon. And as soon as church was over, then comes number six. Number six was David then went to his own house. Why? Because not only is God important at this time, but when you've gone through a tragedy, family and friends are also your stability and your security. Come back to people you know. Come back to people you love. And come back to people you can trust to offer you good advice. So again, David came to his own house. That's number six. When you come through a tragedy, surround yourself with those who love you. Why? Because David had to come back to those that were still alive. I'm going to say that again. David had to come back to those that were still alive. And many of you are living in the land of the dead. They've, searched, they've since passed on, but you're still living back there. Understand something, that when you come to that time of your life, when you realize God cannot let you down, it's impossible for God to let you down, and next of all, you come back to your family, you understand something. The moment that person died, they're no longer in my hands. They're in God's hands. I have to come back to the people that are still living because they're in my hands. Your family is in your hands. Your job is in your hands. People at church are in your hands. And there came a time when David had to remember that and David had to turn loose of that child that had died. I'm simply here to tell you, there's things in your life you don't understand. There's things back in my life as I look back. I don't understand everything that happened in that lawsuit, but I'll tell you what, God does, and one day he'll explain it all to me. Oh, I've seen some things since that day, because that was way back in 2006, all that finally came to an end. And I can tell you, 12 years ago, all that stuff came to an end, but I'm still learning today some things that happened back there. Every time I learn something, I'm so glad I didn't run from God, because he has an explanation. But I, when that, listen, when that thing was over, there was a temptation to want to just jump on a plane and fly to Barbados and never come back. Real temptations. But you know what? Nope, I kept on. I got there and preached even though I didn't feel like preaching. There's times I got up to minister and the want to of preaching was gone. I still did it. You know why? Because the anointing doesn't come because you feel like it. The anointing sometimes comes because you're just obedient to serve God and His presence comes. David now goes back to his family. Why? Because he needs to be surrounded with those of the living. Why do you keep hanging around things that are gone when you need to be hanging around those that are living? And the family needed him. The nation needed him. The military needed him. His new wife needed him. And so David went back. Number six is David came to his own house. Because David had to come back to those that were still alive. He couldn't isolate himself from the living, especially those in his own family. And so we must take responsibility with family and those that remain in our trust. Those who pass on are no longer in our hands. They're in God's hands. Number seven, David ate. People going through grief and loss usually don't eat. David had fasted for seven days and prayed for seven days. Eating a meal was a form of finality. Grieving had ended, but life goes on. David's servants even asked him, why? 
are you eating? Back when the baby was alive, you fasted and prayed, but now that the baby's dead, you're eating? It looks like you're celebrating. And David said this, listen, here's what David said. No, no, this meal is not a celebration that the child died. This meal is a celebration of what's starting today. It's my life ahead that I'm celebrating. What I'm telling you is I have drawn a line of finality. I don't understand. I still don't understand what happened yesterday. I don't understand what happened the day before. I don't understand it. But one thing is I put it behind me and I said, God, you answered in your time. But the celebration starts today. I'm now back with the living. I'm back with my wife. I'm back with my children. I'm back with my friends and all that are surrounding this table. And David celebrated at that meal and here's what he told those around him this is so important when the servants asked him why are you now celebrating David in essence said I'm not celebrating what you think I am I'm not celebrating the child died I'm celebrating what's about to happen from this day on and David said this I realize one thing I will go to be with that child but that child will not return to me let me tell you what David was saying David said, I'm going to be with that child. David returned to the absolute things that he knew. When you don't know what's going on, come back to the unchangeable things of the Christian life. I know my Redeemer lives. And I will stand with him one day on this earth. I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I know all things work together for good to those that love God. Find every scripture you can that starts with the word I know. And David came back to this one thing. I don't know what all happened around me, but I do know this. He's in heaven now with God, and he's happier there than he ever would have been here. And I do know one thing. I'll go to be with him one day. In the meantime, I don't know what happened, but God will show it to me, and one day I'll stand in heaven with that son that went on to be with the Lord and I'll stand with Jesus Christ and on that day I'll know everything that I should have known and I'll be so glad I didn't turn and run from God in the midst of all this. I'm simply here to tell you fall back on what you absolutely know and what you absolutely know will carry you through these times. Understand that? Come back to what you absolutely know and know to be true. So again, I know, Lord, your judgments are right, and I know that you are correct. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Listen to this. In the midst of tragedy, don't throw away what you know because of what you don't know. Stick with what you know. Oftentimes in tragedy, you want to throw everything away. No, stick with what you know. So don't throw away what you know because of what you don't know. And finally, the last thing was number eight. David made love to his wife. Probably, if there was anyone there that was hurting more than anybody else, it was Bathsheba. And she saw, as soon as that child died, she saw David get up, take a shower, put on cologne, shave himself, change clothes, and go to church. She's probably there going, what am I? Chop liver? I mean, what am I? Just nothing? You walk out on me? He goes to church. He comes back. He then sits with his family. And she watches as he's there celebrating around the table with his family. She's down there at the end going, David. And then after he celebrates with his family, he celebrates and talks to all the servants around there. And finally, the last thing is he comes to her. And she probably said, David, you saved me for last? Think about this. Who was hurting more and almost as much as David, if not more than David, it was her. She was responsible, half responsible for what happened. She's the one that said yes when David enticed her. She's the one that said yes when David seduced her. She's the one that had sex with him. She's the one that got pregnant. And because of that pregnancy, David killed her husband. She's partly responsible for her husband's murder. And she knows the story behind the story. She knows everything. And now she's moved into a house. Think about this. She's moved into a house where she knows nobody. You say, yes, but it was a palace. Think about this. She left her home. It might have been a small home, but she knew everything there. She loved her dishes. She loved her kitchen. She loved everything there. And she's taken out of that house and brought into a home. And now she sits down and she's surrounded by servants. It's like going to a really, really nice restaurant. You sit down and they take the napkin and put it on your lap. And you're going, stop it. I can do it myself. 
And then they put out all these forks that you don't use, and they take up the forks and remove them. They put dishes down, and you don't even use them, but they pick them up and pull them away and put other dishes down. You're thinking, this is useless. She's living around a house where everything is done for her, and she's feeling like this is not my house. She's got a table full of kids, and none of those kids are hers. She's got servants. None of those servants are hers. She's sleeping in a bedroom that's not her bedroom. Everything she's surrounded by is strange, and everything she's ever known has gone and now she's living in this house, and the only one she knows in that house is David. The only thing she had to claim as even partly her own was a baby that was in her womb, and now that baby's dead. She's lost everything, and David saves her till last. You say, why? Because I think David wanted to spend more time with her than anybody else. I'm just having to imagine this. But David went and grabbed her, put his arms around her and said, I saved you for last for one reason. I have taken you and done it, and I want you to understand something. None of this is your fault. I take fault for everything. Everything that's happened to you is my fault. I've asked God to forgive me, but Bathsheba, I ask you to forgive me. From my deepest part of my heart, forgive me. And I want you to know I love you. I want you to know you've been yanked out of your life and everything seems to be gone, but God's going to replace it all back with something. Would you operate in faith with me that God's going to return everything? She must have melted in his arms. He took her back in the bedroom, made love to her, and a few months later, she became pregnant with the second wisest man that's ever existed. Jesus even said, up until now, Solomon was the wisest man that ever existed. Now, someone who's wiser than Solomon has finally shown up. She and her husband gave birth to the wisest man that ever existed till Jesus Christ came along. And here's the whole point. If you don't turn to God today and repent, you'll never see the greatest blessing that lies just up the road for you. He has tremendous things for you. So again, until you repent and get back to trusting God, you'll never see the greater blessing that lies just ahead. God has tremendous things for you, but he's waiting for one thing. Forget what just happened. Give it in God's hands. He'll answer at the right time. Get back to serving God. Get back to coming back to church. Get back to truly worshiping God. Get back to taking care of your family. Get back to life again as usual. And get back to telling people about Jesus Christ. Quit sticking your lamp under a bushel because something happened you don't understand. Take the bushel off and let them see your lamp. Let them see you shine for Jesus Christ. And the moment that happens, I can tell you what's going to happen. You'll see a greater blessing lying just up the road ahead. Have any of you seen the movie Shawshank Redemption? I have a bit of wisdom and I'm going to close on. You can either get busy living or you can get busy dying. What's your choice? I choose to live, don't you? Because that's what God did for me. Oh, I'm here to simply tell you today, I don't care what you've come through. God saw it, God knows it, and God has an answer it's just finally up to you to realize something. Some things happen in my life I don't truly, totally understand. But God does. And Father, today, I, I turn from that, and I'm going to get back on this ride called life. And Lord, we have a whole new future, you and me. Say, yeah, but it's been years. How can God ever pay that back? Because I serve a God that redeems the time. He'll buy it back. Would you close your eyes for just a moment? Father, I thank you today for your word. Father, I thank you for these wonderful people. I thank you for this wonderful congregation. Father, I've met with them. I've seen them. They're filled with love. They're filled with desire to serve God and serve the people. But Father, there's still times we run into things we don't know how to explain it. Father, until we get to heaven, we're not going to know everything. But what we do know is this. You know everything. And you promised you'd take care of us. And Father, I ask right now that all across this congregation, there's people right now saying, Lord, I'm getting back on this ride called life. Forgive me for doubting you. Just because circumstances arise, I'm in the midst of the devil's world, and sometimes it seems like the devil's smarter than I am. But Father, he's not smarter than you are. So Father, I trust in you. My full trust is in you. And Father, I repent. And Father, I'm now looking up the road for that greater blessing that lies just ahead. With every head bowed and no one looking around, how many will say, Pastor, that sermon was for me. That was for me. The other's hand's going up. Thank you. Yes, that was for me. And how many can say it in your own heart today? It's over. <laughs> it's over. 
I'm not living back there anymore. It's a brand new day. The sun's rising. It's a brand new day. Shower, clean clothes. It's a brand new day. Father, I thank you for today that you're operating the lives of these people. With your head still bowed and no one looking around, I want to ask one more question. Are you here today and you'll say, Pastor Bob, I have never accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. This is where the whole Christian life begins. The power to come through struggles, the power to come through trials, the power to come through victorious, the power to have a joy you've never had before and never lose it. A peace in your life that you can have that you'll never lose. Direction in your life that you will never lose. And on top of that, the best in life and then the best in eternity. For the Jesus that comes to live with you and be in you and control you in this life will carry you through death and carry you right on into eternity with Him. The moment you accept Jesus Christ in this earth, it is everlasting. And you'll say today, Pastor Bob, I have never accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life, but I want to do that today. With every head bowed, would you just lift up your hand and say, that's me. I want to open up my life and receive Jesus as my Savior. Have Him forgive my sins. I want to become a member of God's family. Anyone? Anyone? Well, Father, I thank You for this wonderful group of people. Father, I thank You. I may see them in life again. I may not see them in life again. But, Father, I'll see them all in eternity. And we'll talk about the wonderful things You brought us through. And the stories behind the stories we didn't see that now we can totally see. Now we can understand in heaven one day we'll say, Lord, we can see the overall picture. Thank you for what you did for us, even though we didn't recognize it. And Father, we give you praise for it. Father, I give you praise today. All the glory, all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.